Hi, you're listening to the Blues Hall of Fame podcast, where we bring you the rich life histories of the incredible men and women enshrined in the Blues Hall of Fame. Innovators, pioneers, entrepreneurs, geniuses. These are the individuals who not only shaped blues music, but paved the path for all forms of American music that followed. The Blues Hall of Fame podcast is brought to you by the Blues Foundation. For more information about the Blues Foundation, go to blues.org. We continue the series with one of the most singular, most original artists the blues has ever known, Little Richard. You may find the life story that follows completely unbelievable, but we assure you that our writer, Preston Lauterbach, did his homework, and the story you're about to experience is corroborated from multiple sources. As you listen, consider Little Richard's expansiveness, his energy, his repertoire, his never-ending influence on generations worldwide. No one sounded like Little Richard before Little Richard, and it's safe to say that no one ever will. There can only be one. So why would the formative events of his life have been any less unique? This is his story. It started out with the sound of crazy talk coming towards my house when I was a boy, all loud. In our town, Macon, Georgia, we had preachers up and down the streets and women singing spirituals, but this sounded different, almost like a ghost, but wilder, almost angry. It had no words, but I think I understood it. I stepped off the sidewalk toward my house when I heard it, and then I saw them. Dr. Nobilio wore a red turban and a gold cape. Next to him walked a strange little dude with big eyes. He was the one who made the ghost sound. That would be Richard. He carried Dr. Nobilio's Freaks of Nature, a bunch of stuff that grew out of the earth but looked like people. He had a sweet potato shaped like a face and a tree band like a skeleton hand. The noise and freaks brought a crowd. Once people arrived, Richard and Nobilio shook them on down. Richard performed healings, and Nobilio read fortunes, all for entertainment purposes, of course. People wrote questions about the future to Nobilio, and he'd burn the slips of paper without reading them before he gave a person's fate. You might be wondering, now how would a kid think he should be a faith healer? Well, one time, Richard went to the bathroom in a box and gave it to a crippled old lady wrapped up like a present. When she opened it, she threw down her crutch and chased after him. When that crippled woman started running, Richard decided he had the power to cure. That woman didn't need her crutches anymore after he got through with his trick. And that hooked him up with Dr. Nobilio. Nobilio blessed a ginseng root that looked like a wizard and gave it to Richard. I don't think it was real magic. Everybody knew Richard was going to blow up big as dynamite. I think Nobilio was just putting a down payment on taking credit for it. Now that you're rich and famous, you remember that root I gave you, like that. But it wasn't about to be easy. First time I went to Richard's house, the place was loaded with kids. I asked his mama how many she had. She said 11. She cocked her head at Richard and said, he's the most trouble of any of them. They lived halfway between the neighborhood beer joint called the Tip Inn and the Church of God. Sometimes the songs poured out of both places and mixed at Richard's house. Richard's father, Bud, did a little preaching, sold a little moonshine, halfway between. He had to work both ends of the street to feed all those mouths. 
When me and Richard got older, we went downtown where all the theaters, cafes, and barbershops were, on a street we called Broadway. That was home of some colorful folk. Dr. Nobilio would be around there, but not even he was the wildest sight to behold. That'd be this powerful railroad man who wore high-heeled shoes, a funky gown, and big hat with a feather on it. I don't know what they called him on the railroad, but on Broadway, she became Madame Oop. She had a friend with her called Sis Henry who twirled a pink parasol. They wore lacy gloves. They swished around Broadway with their chirpy voices. As soon as they got to fighting, them voices went all deep again. <laughs> that was okay in those days. Nobody bothered them. In fact, Richard became quite interested. He swished along with them. At home, he put on his sister's pink petal pushers and dabbed his mama's rose water on his face. Most trouble of any of them. This upset Bud quite a bit. Bud was pure man, no halfway between there. Nothing he could do about it, though. Richard started cruising at night. I did, too, sometimes. We sat in the coffee shop at the Greyhound station and watched the buses. He said, I love to see them big things going in and out. I didn't care for that, but he cackled like a cuckoo. He sat there watching the people get off the bus. When I saw his eyes open wide, he said, Whoa, boy. I looked. Whoa, boy. Wore face powder, curled eyelashes, and two-toned shoes. He came in. We met him. Called himself Escarita. Richard laughed like a cuckoo and called him Excretia. They walked off together to Richard's. Turned out Escarita played some serious piano. And he taught Richard. Richard learned fast. Makeup, drag, piano, it all hit him. It all hit Bud even harder. That, my friends, is when Richard had to go. I went along. We caught on with a raggedy big band. That's where he first got the name Little Richard. The band had his name printed up on posters and hung them all over the station wagon we rode in. When we got back to making in that thing, Richard was joyful. The big station wagon drove through the neighborhood with all those signs on it. He thought he had made it until he saw his father's face. Bud really would not have approved of his son's next job. Little Richard became Princess Levon. He wore an evening gown and heels higher than Madame Oop's. Totally unable to walk in those shoes, the band had to pick him up and carry him to the microphone before curtain, and then he just stood there trying to sing his heart out without falling down. He did something right because that earned him his first chance to record. He sang real pretty, sounded more like Ruth Brown than Roy Brown, though. Once the record came out, he went directly back on the road with a new act. He played piano with a bunch of other people, almost like stuntmen, tap dancing with furniture in their mouths. At the end of the set, I'd introduce the performance to the crowd and save him for last. And little Richard, king of the blues. And he'd holler, and the queen too. Like I said, no big deal back then. Every nightclub had its shake dancer and female impersonator. We hung around New Orleans at the Dewdrop. I remember they had an impersonator named Patsy Vidalia. Patsy had hairy legs. Richard talked bad on Patsy. Looked like he got hit with a ball and didn't get well. On Valentine's Day, we got a job to play at the Cotton Club in Macon. We decided to surprise his mama, 
but we got surprised. Bud was working up at the tip inn, and we waited up to see him. Got to be near midnight when we heard gunshots up the street. Me and Richard ran toward the tip inn. Richard got there first. He pushed open the door. The place cleared out from the trouble. It was just us and silence. We saw his daddy laying there, bleeding from the chest. But it had already gone when Richard got to him. We stood there in shock. I didn't know what to say. Richard just sort of looked around like he hoped to wake up out of this nightmare. I could see tears filling his eyes. In that deathly silence, the jukebox clicked on. It startled us awake. Then the speaker hummed. We heard the needle drop on the record, the static, and then the song. Richard's new one. The tears just spilled down his face. He and his dad had a lot of trouble, but hearing that record go on was like Bud telling Richard how proud he felt. So Richard put on his mama's makeup and went out to beat daddy for that family. I always believed that his father's death drove little Richard to rock and roll. He still got stuck in novelty acts. He sang the way he dressed, mostly pretty, but he had some wild stuff too. He just didn't take the stuff seriously. Whenever he got the chance to record, he got nervous. He couldn't be his true self. Every hour, was nice, but that wasn't no kid who did his business in a box and picked up dates at the bus station. That's where it stuck when we went to New Orleans to record. It was probably his last chance to blow up as big as dynamite. It almost got away. The producer, this dude Bumps, got so frustrated he called for a break and everyone went down to the dewdrop. Now here Richard felt right. This was Patsy Vidalia's house. You didn't have to worry about what America thought of you at the dewdrop. And so Richard jumps on the piano and tears into his big drag song. A womp bomba loobop, a good god dang tutti fruity, good booty. Bump starts yelling, that's what I want from you, Richard, that's a hit. You know what happened? Big as dynamite, just like Dr. Nobilio said. Now out on the road, little Richard didn't get paid by check. He got paid by a briefcase. One night, we were blazing down the highway in a canary yellow Fleetwood Cadillac. On the radio, we heard Tutti Fruity starting up, only it wasn't Richard's voice. He said, that ain't all, Rudy. But we listened and finally figured out what happened. Richard starts laughing. He started going like a cuckoo, like he did his business in a box and gave it to somebody. Finally, he settled down and said, I wonder if Pat Boone knows what he's singing about. Thanks for listening to the Blues Hall of Fame podcast, brought to you by the Blues Foundation. The Blues Hall of Fame podcast is produced by Bill Street Caravan for the Blues Foundation. 
written by Preston Lauterbach and voiced by Guy Davis. For more information on the Blues Foundation, go to blues.org.